and welcome to the Free Range Buffalo. Break free from the herd. In today's episode is part two of our incentivized animal series. We'll be looking at the human animal. And joined for this series, my good partner, Michael Morse. Good evening. So, today we're going to talk about the human animal. And really, kind of to set the stage, the human animal, how I'm conceiving of this is back about the the dichotomy of man, if you will, where people are divided into two different parts, always at war, you know, uh, the ethos and the thanatos, the, the 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 constructor and the deconstructor, the light and the dark, the light and the dark. Yeah, that, excellent. You're right. And so on on one side is our, our is our reason, is our intellect, is our capacity to uh, create these things rationally or or, or or impose a rational view on the world. Uh, that, that's always the part that we're most proud of in our humanity. That what what separates us from the animal kingdom, what sets us apart versus the more animalistic parts of ourselves what, what, that we're derived from the same clay, from the same Mother Earth as every, as every other creature that's ever walked or crawled, and we're all part of one giant uh, ecosystem. And it's that human-animal aspect that, I, that fascinates me. So I want to divorce the, the, ration, uh, the, the, the rational part of ourselves, the reason, and I want to focus on the human-animal aspect. What, how much of our decision-making is actually being done and is being driven primarily by that, the animalistic part of ourselves, the, 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 those base drives? And, uh, yeah, I want, I want to kind of take that apart. So I guess to start with, you know, one of those think, thinkings that I, that I always have, uh, what, because I, I conceive of, you know, one of the most powerful drives in, 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 in the human animal is really our sex drive, our, our, the overarching need to procreate. Uh, I mean, there's a reason why there's, you know, seven plus billion climbing to eight uh, because that drive is overarching. You know, it's, it's overarching. I mean, even if you're living in the, in the Western world, there's very little financial incentive to have kids, but yet we still have kids, maybe not to replacement levels, but we, we still override ourselves when we have kids because it's an overarching need. Um, and what, what does that drive us to? So one of the things I was thinking about was fashion. You know, we take a look at the fashion being done in, uh, the middle ages, you know, with the, the pantaloons and these big puffy shoulders, uh, you know, fast forward for women, all of a sudden they, you know, in the 18th century of these huge metal hoops with these tight corsets, extraordinarily not practical, not frankly, it's quite unhealthy. Um, and how much of that, the, you know, and, and now we're looking at uh, in the in the 20s where, you know, hairstyle changed and how much of that was being driven by the need to look attractive to the opposite sex to, 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 to acquire a partner? Well, I think a large part of it is, it, and I think it's also us being social animals. We want to fit in with the group. Uh, we also uh, sort of, get our rules from the overarching culture. So we're looking to others to as to how to behave within that group. Mm. So we're taking cues from people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so some of it is definitely unconscious. I think uh, you're not always conscious. You might say, hey, I like that or, or whatever. Mm. Yet 
I do believe that, yeah, probably to begin with, it's the, uh, it's the need to procreate. Uh, Guy, I think it's Guy Kawasaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, who I will try not to quote too much in, in this <laughs> yeah. podcast because I don't think he's that reputable of a source for things. However, he did say this, which I think is fascinating and pertinent, is that people end up uh, dressing in, in their sense of fashion as to the time they were most sexually active. Just, <laughs> which is interesting that in so that age. so that's why as we get older that we, we we see people get in these um you're wearing iron maiden t-shirts and <laughs> yeah because man pink floyd dark side of the moon shirt that was what got some good stuff happening isn't that funny huh wait and i, I want to go back to, to to another thing you you had mentioned about how social acceptance you know they were taking you know social cues off of one another as as a driver now and i don't think that's that that's not part of our ra- our rational part. It's actually no, looking it's at not. so so rather rather than delving down into the 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 drive for for sex as being a an overarching need, but the need to belong, the need to belong is what makes you attractive not just to mates but also to the society in general. So you have to meet these social cues because of this overarching need to be accepted by the society. Now that's really interesting because. That is also an irrational requirement because if you truly were rational, you wouldn't really put much stock into belonging, but because of the need to belong, that drives a lot of the behavior. Isn't that interesting? Well, I, th- I think there's something behind it, and maybe it's we found out way back when it was easier to survive in groups. So perhaps there had to be some form of social cohesion. So mm. we learned how to get along. Right. Because it would be a lot easier. You know, I think about the cavemen. It'd be a lot easier to take one down if I had a bunch of mates around out on the hunt with me you rather bet. than trying to do it myself, right? Uh, so I think there's part of that. And then, yeah, you you want to fit in with the group to a certain extent. And then within that, it creates the hierarchies. Right. And as you build status within that hierarchy your chances of getting a mate are improved right? Uh, because you're displaying higher status. Perhaps it's your ability to uh, hunt more, uh, make more money, you know, what, what have you. Well, uh, and, and, and this actually goes back to something that's obvious. You know, we say this, this expression, it's cliche we're, that we are social animals. And so back to the idea of human animal, yeah. Hey, we're a social animal. I mean, e- even in that cliched expression, we're, we're, we're saying this isn't a rational concept. This is something where you're doing it instinctually. You're, you're, you're replicating the behavior of someone else around you so that way you belong and that way you're looking for their esteem and, the, and, and, and you're building these old tribes. And, and yes, there are these informal hierarchies that, that you're seeing. I mean, I was, uh, I was thinking about my, because uh, I have kids in, in grade school. And you wonder how much of this is learned because this is sometimes, sometimes I've heard this from uh, some classes on, in sociology this is what some of the professors would like to hypothesize that a lot of these hierarchies are in fact learned behaviors that, that the, the base, you know, the mark when human is not, we don't exist in hierarchies. And I, I have to, I'm not a sociologist, but I'm a real student of humanity. And I, I watch these especially. I love kindergarten because they're the most honest. And it's really the first time, 
you know, preschool, obviously some kids get a little more, you know, exposed to it, but kindergarten is one of the real formal introductions into the, the society. But it's not the teacher imposing these hierarchies. You watch these kids interact and they're already creating these informal hierarchies amongst their, as they're forming these nucleus of their peer group and, and, and testing boundaries. How far can they go? You know, if, if you have impulse control problems and, and, you, and you lash out, well, the group almost, auto, well, not almost, always automatically excludes that, that the aggressor. Mm-hmm. You, you, you've gone too far. And they learn how to check their behavior far, far better than any adult ever can. And that these hierarchies start, you know, who, who's the alpha, who's the beta, and it and it, it changes and evolves as they're as they're testing out different parameters of that. But the hierarchies are one hundred percent real, and as they're going forward, they they start becoming even more and more solidified. So up until the maximum expression, you know, in that late junior high, early high school, where it's to the exclusion of any other group, parents, um, whether that's your uh, social groups. It only matters about your peer group and belonging to it and who's the cool kids because they're the alphas, they're the ones on top of the hierarchy, and then who falls it below them. Well, and I, w- I wonder if those hierarchies exist in terms of uh, distribution of resources. So back in tribal days, uh, you'd have the leaders, the best hunters, uh, the leader of the tribe. Yeah, yeah. He would distribute meat, right, let's say. And uh, you could think about that in terms of the cool kids now, maybe they know the best parties. They know, mm. they know how to get alcohol. They know, you know, like it could be any of those things. So it could be a distribution of resources. Yet at the same time, the the exclusion thing's important, I think, because back in back then, ostracization meant death. Right. If you well, were thrown out from the group, you were gonna die. Well, th- I mean, th- this is why one of the great punishments that I think modern people have a hard time wrapping the head ar- heads around is. Th- the punishment of exile. Yes, you yeah. were kicked out of the city state or or of a, of a territory. You were, you were person non grata. You, you you no longer exist to us. And in in some ways, that was a punishment worse than death because death, you're done. It's I mean, it's over. You're no longer being punished. But to be, you're now alive. So every day will be a suffering because you're no longer part of this group. And uh, that's hard to understand in our, our our global world, where especially when you're in. Um, the rich affluent West where, you know, if you speak you know, English and you're able to get along and it's hard to understand how you can be exiled. Although now I'm going to correct myself, maybe not so much because now you can be exiled on social media. Well, you can be exiled on social media. You could be exiled in your group and uh, well, certainly on social media, you can be exiled or canceled. Um, mm, yeah, and, yeah. and that goes back to kind of that animalistic behavior because now it's not really a cohesive group on the internet. Let's say, Right. There is no cohesive group. So what rules are you playing by? It's it's a totally nebulous thing, and, and that creates this attack and lashing out uh, because some of those social rules and the social hierarchies online begin to fall apart. And so that's where you get some more of this chaos. Well, I th- well and I think to that end, so you're, you're trying to understand which group you're trying to belong to. mm but because of the interconnectedness, the actual nature of the, of the internet, you have all these different tribes. So if you're on a, if you're if you're a progressive eco warrior, this is your tribe. And if someone says something counter, you lash out at them. But if you're on if, if you're if your tribe is on the um, 
let's say you're on the climate skeptic group or you're on a, uh, a, a you're, you're a libertarian tribe, well, then you get rewarded from that. But because all these groups are existing simultaneously without any borders, there's no way to have actually ring fencing yourself so you can't make safe comments exclusively to your social group. So it's actually a vying for supreme dominance of, of who is in charge of, uh, of the overarching hierarchy of the internet. And I think it's why the whole, whole system, because it, you can't establish that. So, no, you so, can't. So instead you, you have just continually nebulous um, forms of surprising friction. You know, I think that's where people get caught out all the time by saying something like, well, my, my tribe is going to love this. I'm going to say it, but then it gets out too far. It gets, goes too viral. It gets picked up by a group that's opposed to you. And then they completely annihilate you for, for whatever. Well, it's easy to conflate things on the internet. Right. Uh, and yet I think we'll maybe change it away from the internet right, again of course, and, yeah, and yeah. talk about, you know, our, our irrationality in, in decision-making. Mm. And I think it plays a large part in our day-to-day especially. Right. Uh, part of that is, I think, survival. We have to automate a certain amount of things. And of course. And it's become easier to... Uh, use that unconscious part of our brain mm-hmm. uh, to do so. With that said, yeah, we're not re- really using the rational too, too much on our day-to-day things. What it is used for, I think, is when we seek out a goal, when we have uh, something we want to accomplish. Mm. I think that's I think that's actually why the rational mind was created in humanity. And mm. I, I saw something on Netflix the other day on memory. Yep. And they said, you know, memories, they proved how they're fallible. And we all know that. Of course. If we've done any type of reading, memories are fallible. So they said, why did they exist? Well, their theory that they foisted was that it helps to construct a future. You're able to use all these sen- sensory recalls and, and these memories to create a, a future. Okay. And I think... Uh, I'm going to combine that idea with Jordan Peterson's yep. uh, uh, about uh, aiming at something, right? Oh, yeah. I, I, I always love how he puts this. For those who haven't heard this one, because he, he was, in his biblical series, he was talking about how the word sin actually comes from the, uh, it's an archery term to miss the mark. Mm, right. Yeah, yeah. And so, yes, and what he says, his whole theory is about how we as humans aim, we have the physical ability, probably the only thing to be able to throw something with any accuracy. Yep. And he said that also uh, evolves into our goal setting and things like that. So if we take those two ideas, you're able to rationally construct a future and aim towards it. Mm. That's when I think the rational mind comes into play. And that's why if you have a vision, if you examine Kennedy, when he said we're going to the moon, not because it's easy, because it's hard. Well, it gave people a vision, and they worked towards it. If you look at the incentive contests, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, first person to fly across the Atlantic wins $25,000. Yeah, yeah. Well, that wouldn't have been achieved if it, the mark wasn't set, and then people rationally approached it. I think, though, for the majority of, of people and the majority of the time, we're not using our rational uh, decision-making process, A, because it's not expedient, uh, in the past, it's been much more expedient to rely on our instincts for survival. You bet. And it takes a lot of mental processing power to be able to th- say you can think about everything rationally and that you've considered all options. So 
this is quite interesting, actually, and, and, and I think this is a good way of um, rephrasing some of what we're um, trying to plumb to, or, or, or at least pull back the veil, even if it's just a superficial level. But what we're really talking about is yeah, humanity is working off of uh, a structure of tens of thousands of years old, right? I mean, I, at least in, in the modern construct, I mean, evolving for the past million years, depending upon the anthropologist as, as they're going through, because they're always finding new data and different streams of humanity. But Homo sapiens, Mark one human, existing, let's say, for 100, 250,000 years in its most present modern form. So nothing else has changed. But So that structure, all of those instincts, all of those base drives, all of the, the structure of the, of the modern mind, where and you can even see it on how the actual brain is constructed the most primitive parts are at the core of the brain and then each level on top of it it's like a list base level each one is more advanced doing more of the uh rational thinking more logic like all the more advanced abstract thinking abilities are, are, are put on top of that where it's like your hippocampus and your medulla oh my god i'm not gonna get into the too much of it but if anyone's interested look at the architecture of the brain it's quite interesting about how that is, is built up but the um, because we're we're basing all of all of humanity, each person interacting with the world is is looking and using that architecture to interact within the modern world, and I don't think we give ourselves we're not honest with ourselves collectively or even individually about where where those decisions are getting made, and because we're we are going instinctually. And we're probably giving ourselves a little too much credit without actually understanding where we're getting those decisions from. And I think this is why, you know, we often make decisions we don't understand why we've done that. Why did I do that thing? That was, that, I mean, that, that was actually counter to my best interest, but I did it. And they don't, and they don't know why. And I think, under trying to unwrap that, that that mystery of say, okay, well, is is that satisfying some ancient drive that I was supposed to, you know, but I. Because I, I I was never honest with myself, or never really pumped that depth. I I didn't actually understand why. Well, I think you just uh, found the solution to it, and it's through examination and becoming conscious of it. I don't think there's a way around our irrationality or a lot of our cognitive biases. I just don't think that you can overcome them. Mm. There, if we have that part of our our nature, our our brains have been built on this over tens of thousands of years. Right. The arrogance to think that we're going to be able to solve that just because we know of it now is is pretty audacious, in my opinion. I think that the only way you can improve upon it is to be conscious of it. And then, as you said, to break down sort of the reasoning behind it and see what the underlying uh, maybe triggers are, underlying factors in your decision making it might be emotional it might be uh, you're seeking uh pleasure or avoiding pain and and those are pretty irrational things too you don't have to think too much about them no do so Uh, so that becoming conscientious of those things is is how you improve it however i don't think it can be overcome completely no and so i do agree with you i think anyone who believes they can, you know, I, I always love the Star Trek fans who really fall in love with the, the whole Vulcan 
idea of of of, of a non emotional, completely rational society as a, as a species. I mean, it's for some for some people, especially the more antisocial, you know, more scientific minded people, they they would see that as a utopia, as this this perfect world that will never exist. Not with this species, not in any any stretch of the imagination. There's no way for us to suppress that. And I, and I would actually argue in every representation I've seen in fiction of a hyper-rational, non-emotional, non-animal society, it's so sterile and devoid of joy and devoid of any kind of... It, it, it just smacks of artificiality. And, and, and oftentimes, it's... Uh, and, Every time that's represented in science fiction, it's usually a thin veneer over a completely catastrophic dystopian foundation. So, when when you say that, can you over can you override it? I don't think you can, and I definitely don't think you should should even try. I think that's the wrong approach. I think suppressing uh, that that the human animal only is going to lead to some really catastrophic behavior problems later. Now what's happened in uh, in the modern age, though, is some people have been able to uh, figure that out and sort of formulize it in terms of eliminating our decision-making process. If you look at a lot of the algorithms, why do we binge-watch Netflix now? Well, <laughs> they've figured out how to make it attractive to us. Yeah, yeah. You go on YouTube, you forget what you were going to search, but you click on this because, hey, I looked at something similar last time. Yeah. And it brings up more of the same. So some of those things uh, have been solved by people. And uh, and now they're they're getting past our sort of rational defenses. Now there's there's a couple things behind that. Uh, One, I think you, you have to be aware of it. Mm-hmm. Yet again, I don't think you can totally defend yourself against it. And two, I think that um, you know there are certain things that uh, are are aspirational, and those things like a Rolex watch or, or a Mercedes, those will be marketed to, to you as such. Uh, you know, if, if you have this, your life will be great, and they give you fantasies and images around that. Whereas yeah, ultimate status symbols, like a, a Sonic Burger, is a great example. Their commercials are dumb and deliberately yeah. so. Yeah, uh, because you remember them. Yeah, it's because your defenses are lowered, so it can sneak in under the radar and get into that unconscious part. And I, I think so. P- people have figured this out, and you have to sort of defend yourself against it. Right. Well, I, I love that uh, the, the way you're, you're pointing out is how we all need to be awake and conscious of the fact that we have these animal drives within us, recognizing them. And I think the proper um, approach is to do your best to integrate them into your into your being, not to suppress, but to, uh, over a period of time in trying to understand where these drives are coming from. The more you understand your, your drives within you, the more animalistic sides of yourself, the more you, you don't suppress that, but allow that to come in and put that more under your conscious control or at least understanding allows you to stand as a stronger individual. You know, and, and I love how you're putting out the fact about uh, advertising and the new algorithms being <laughs> being uh, being developed by uh, computer uh, software engineers. The, everyone needs to be aware of these things because they're already being used against us. They were, they were first, well, I mean, they're all, 
people are always able to understand the instincts of people because they themselves are people. Just like how you know how to hurt someone because you know what can hurt you. You know what to draw, how to motivate someone because you know what will motivate you. That's, that's part of the self-reflection of humanity. But now we can take it with the power of technology and take it to such a degree that it can actually be against our best interest to be, and it makes it easier to be manipulated. And I think that's the cautionary tale I want people to take away from this tonight or today is that in order for you not to be manipulated as often as you otherwise would be, because I don't think it's a perfect defense, um, but that's to just really be honest with yourself as much as you can. Look yourself in the mirror. And when you do something you don't understand, have the courage to ask yourself why. Not to beat yourself up about it. Don't, like, I'm not saying to self-flagellate yourself, oh, I'm a, I'm a horrible person. I mean, we're all horrible people. Just just take that for, for what it is. We're all horrible. But to be generous with yourself enough to actually go into and look into yourself and why you're doing certain things. And the more you understand that, the more powerful you'll be. So. I agree. Yeah. It's, it's a call for self-reflection mm. and you can improve it. You won't be able to avoid it, but becoming aware is the first step towards improving it. And I would say even with the irrational, rational, like you said, the light and the dark, I think they're inseparable and you can't have one without the other. We couldn't be transcendent human beings if we didn't have darkness and, and malevolence in the world either. Uh, they're part of the same equation and I think that our mind works the same way. Mm. Well, on that, I always love leaving on a, anytime you say the word transcendent. And on that note, from all of us here, the free range buffalo. Roam free.